Welcome to MASH Forever. My name is Carrie, and I'm hosting this podcast about the best TV show ever in television history. And today I thought I would talk a little bit about my passion for the show and talk a little bit about the history of the show, a little bit about the MASH movie, the MASH books. And I also found an article called What MASH Taught Us in the New Yorker magazine. And I found this online. Uh, this is from July 24th, uh, 2018. And I wanted to talk a little bit about what MASH taught us. I think after being on Facebook pages and Instagram accounts over the last several years and being an admin on various Facebook groups, plus running my own Instagram account, MASH.forever, I realized that MASH means something different to everybody, but we're all in this together. We're all fans of the show, no matter if we picked up the show last year or we're a 40 or 50 year fan of the show. It's like we're all in this MASH universe together. And I started thinking about it and I was amazed by that because I think about people I've met because of the show. I've met fellow admin on Facebook groups. I've met people in person at fan autograph shows. And it's really amazing. You walk into somewhere and you've got a MASH t-shirt on and people are like, oh my God, you like the show too. And it's really neat to have those moments. And I thought I wanted to share a little bit more about my story because I think my story is similar to other people's stories about the show and about how they got into the show and why it's so meaningful. And then I found this article, uh, What MASH Taught Us. And it's interesting because if you look at it from a social perspective or a political perspective or a military perspective, it, it has a lot of different aspects to it. So I thought it'd be interesting to kind of look at a lot of this in today's podcast. I don't have a real goal here in mind other than I wanted to share my own experience and talk about it and why the show is so meaningful to me. And I'm going through a really hard time right now. So I thought, well, it'll be really cool to like revisit why the show is so important to me and how it has helped me through all of the major transitions of my life. And it'd be interesting to hear what other people have gone through with the show. So I started watching in 78 or 79, 1978 or 79, I was eight or nine years old. When I started watching, I believe the first episode I watched on prime time was called The Party. And I remember seasons nine, 10 and 11. So somewhere in 79, 80, I started watching more seriously. My father watched it every single night. And so around the time I started watching it, we were watching it from five to six and then from seven to eight every single night and then nine o'clock on Monday nights. So I was allowed to stay up late to watch it at that time in my life, which now it would all just be on demand, but it definitely was not that way back in the day. I know I feel very old fashioned when I say back in the back in my day. So anyway, I'll keep going here. So anyway, so I started watching it with a just, ah, what what is the word I'm looking for? I started watching and it was 
almost a religion for me. It was safe, it was community, it was a place where people accepted each other, they loved each other in spite of their differences. And I was going through a really hard time during that period in my life. My great aunt had just passed away and I went through a lot of uh, sadness and grief around her passing. And then uh, there were school things that were happening and MASH for me was just this very safe place. Like they all got along at the end of the day. They all were rooting for each other. Yes, they were irritating each other, but they at the end, they were still sticking up for one another and they were still, they had each other's backs, even though they might not get along in an episode or there might be an issue that arises. They were still trying to make it all work. And I that type of community for most of my adult life has eluded me. It eluded me back in grade school and, and junior high school. So when I fell into the kind of the MASH universe, and then uh, my friend and I were starting to meet other fellow MASH fans, it was like, oh, okay, we found our tribe or we found our community to belong to. And that's been an amazing journey to go to different events uh, that have MASH as the central thing. And you see the people just are like, of course, you're a MASH fan. Okay. And it's amazing. I sit here with my, my MASH t-shirt on, my MASH hat on. And I, I go out in the world this way. And I'm always amazed. I had one time I was wearing a, a MASH t-shirt or a hat or something. And I, I think he must have been no more than 18 years old. He yelled over to me at a gas station. Oh my God, you're wearing a MASH thing. And oh my God, that's my favorite show. And it was just really cool to see the the camaraderie and the community that that brought up. So that's, yeah, so I'm always amazed by that um, when, when I look at my years of being a fan of the show. So I started watching when I was eight, nine, 10, somewhere in there. My first memorabilia item was the Margaret Houlihan doll, not the action figure of the doll. That's like 12, 12 inches tall. Carried that thing everywhere. My second or third item were the MASH trading cards and then the board game I got for Christmas when I was in sixth grade. Carried that thing everywhere. And <laughs> not the trivia game, the board game. And I think I got the trivia game seventh grade and MASH ended when I was in February of my seventh grade year. So it, uh, yeah, it ended... It ended when I was in seventh grade and I was going through a hell of a time in seventh grade and MASH brought me so much comfort and I was so devastated to have it go off the air and I tape recorded it with my cassette tape recorder and those of you who are old enough to remember we had cassette recorders at that time and you had to sit there by the TV and push the play and uh, record button and then you had to push the pause button and it was just on the commercials and I think I had three cassette tapes that I had the final episode on and I got to stay up late that night till 1030. That was pretty good for back in the day. So it's interesting to look at my 40 year plus history with the show and how important the show still is to me today. So important that on a cross country drive, I really wanted to hit Malibu Creek State Park and I didn't. 
And then I thought, I'm going to go to Washington, D.C., and I'm going to go to that Entertainment Nation uh, exhibit that's at the Smithsonian, right? Thinking, oh, no problem. I'll breeze into Washington, D.C., and I'll breeze out of Washington, D.C. And that was true. When you get in close to the museum, though, there is no parking. Like, there's parking on the street, which is all taken by noon. I got there around noon that day. I had my dog in the car. It's 90 degrees outside. I did this literally two weeks ago. And I'm driving around all these city streets, looking up parking garages. Because my car has a thing where I can talk into it, into the radio, and it'll give me suggestions. So I was like, hey, Suri, give me a suggestion about a parking garage. And it gave me two suggestions. The first parking garage wanted to valet park my car with my dog in it. And I was like, I can't do that because I have a dog in the car. Left that parking garage, went to another one, Ronald Reagan Federal Building Parking. And they were like, do you have a dog? You have a dog in the car. Dogs are not allowed in federal buildings. I'm like, well, I just want to park for like 10 or 15 minutes. No, 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 we can't do that. So I, I gave up. So if you're going to downtown Washington, D.C., make sure you plan it out better than I did. I literally thought, oh, I've been to how many major cities around the U.S. and around the world? I'll just breeze in, breeze out. And I, I was able to breeze in and out as expected, but I wasn't able to park there easily. Just something to keep in mind. But on the outside of the building, there's a big sign that says Entertainment Nation. So I knew I had gotten to the right place. And it killed me that I couldn't go in and just see the signpost, pick up any visitor items and leave. Uh, that was really, really difficult to get back on the highway. And the way I went, I ended up sitting in traffic, leaving that area of Washington, D.C. So if anybody knows of a way to do that more easily than I planned on, I would be greatly appreciative because I hope to drive down there from Boston uh, sometime in the coming months uh, to see that exhibit. <laughs> really want to see that exhibit. So if anyone has any suggestions about where to park, how to park, any of that, I would be so thrilled. I would be so, so thrilled. So I, so with my MASH obsession, I would call it. I've met different actors and actresses from the show. I met Jeff Maxwell last year twice. Loretta Swit I've met three or four times now. Jamie Farr I met for the first time last year. I met Alan Alda and that was a goofy story because that was a book signing back in 2007, I believe. And I was living in Atlanta, Georgia at the time and he was going to be signing books in downtown Birmingham, Alabama, of all places. And that was like, uh, with the time change, it was going to be like a two-hour drive. So I was like, okay, we're going to get up at five in the morning and drive over there. Drove over there, got in line. I was like third in line. So I said to the women standing in front of me, I said, can you hold my place in line while I go use the bathroom? So I went down to the bathroom and I come out of the bathroom and Alan Alda is standing right there coming out of the men's room. And I thought... He has absolutely no idea who I am. So I didn't say anything. I wanted to, oh, I so wanted to, and I didn't because 
he would not have known who I was. It wasn't part of the book signing. It just happened to be that he was coming out of the bathroom and I was coming out of the women's bathroom. And I uh, just couldn't, I could not bring myself to do anything. And then he came upstairs to start signing books. And I remember him speaking a little bit at some point uh, during the event and we all got our books signed. And it was really cool. And all I remember saying to him is, I have no idea what to say to these people most of the time. I'm super nervous. I'm really nervous going, oh my God, my idols. Uh, And so all I said was, thank you so much, you know, for all the years of whatever. And, And that was all I could muster as I stood in front of him. That's all I could muster. And my phone at the time did not have a camera. I don't believe that was back pre-iPhone. So I think I had a BlackBerry at the time. I think Blackberries were really popular prior to the iPhone coming out. And so I wish I could say, yes, I got a picture of him on my cell phone. But I did get, I brought my 35 millimeter digital camera, not my 35 millimeter digital camera. There is no... No, I didn't bring my 35 millimeter digital camera. I brought my digital camera and I took pictures that way. So I actually have pictures of him from that event. So that was, that was really neat. So uh, I found this article again called What MASH Taught Us. And it talks about the movie, the books uh, and the TV show and how they're all very, very different. Um, You know, the MASH, the novel, uh, was written by Richard Hooker, and then it was adapted to film by Robert Altman, and then, obviously, the TV series. So, I've seen the movie a few times now. It's shown on, of all places, airplane rides, airplanes, uh, flights between the West Coast and the East Coast, depending on the airline. So, I've seen that a few times in the last couple of years. Uh, Obviously, the TV show ran for 11 years. The movie was very, very different from the TV show. And it, you know, when MASH ended on February 28th, 1983, it set a record for the most watched television episode in broadcast history, and that still stands today. Super Bowls have, I believe, have had more uh, viewers, but Super Bowl is different from a TV show. So very, very different. Um, so it's interesting to think about the differences between the book, the movie and the TV show. And, you know, cause the TV show in this article, it talks about how, uh, by the end of the TV series, it seemed like they were glamping in the hills of Korea. And I can't say that I disagree with that statement. It felt very campy to me. Not in a bad way, but it did feel kind of campy to me. Like it's like, it wasn't the same kind of, I felt like the beginning of the series had more of a serious tone to it along with the hijinks. And I think as the, as the show continued on, it was more like, I don't know, morality episodes and looking at more in-depth dilemmas than at the beginning of the episode, beginning of the show. Um, and it, this art, this article is also saying that Robert Altman's film ad- adaptation is much better than the book and pound for pound, probably the artistic highlight of the franchise. And I agree with that because if you look at how MASH the movie was filmed, 
it was filmed in a very, it feels to me like a very rough kind of way where there's a lot going on. There's a lot happening. There's a lot of like aerial views of the camp. Um, I love the beginning of the movie because it shows the whole area and all the mountains and the, and the beauty of those mountains. If you've, if you've been to Malibu Creek State Park or, or if you haven't been, it's an amazingly beautiful, beautiful area. You've got mountains, you've got a creek, you've got, or as my grandmother would call a creek. <laughs> back, in, back in her day, my grandmother was born in 1922. She just died a, a few years ago. And she would always say the creek. So the Malibu State, uh, well, Malibu Creek, Malibu Creek State Park is how she would, would have pronounced that. So anyway, so it's just, it's an awe-inspiring park. I've seen deer there, rabbits, a blue heron was there one time. Um, I've not seen snakes. I have heard that snakes are, are there, but fortunately I have never seen, <laughs> never seen a snake there. Thank God. I do not need, uh, you know, <laughs> I do not need to see snakes when I'm hiking. Um, so anyway, so going back to this article, um, the lyrics to the MASH song were were sung uh, in the MASH movie, which I always thought was really cool. I learned the lyrics when I was in sixth grade. Our music teacher decided to rewrite the lyrics and said that the chorus of the uh, song was, Army life is painless. Well, they didn't want us knowing that suicide is painless. Um, and I never quite understood the words to the song. Not, not really. I, I can't say that I really understand the lyrics uh, to, to the song. If anyone has any thoughts on them, I'd be happy to uh, have a conversation with you about it. It'd be great to have people join me on this podcast. I think that would be a lot of fun to do more interview style podcasts in future, future episodes. So it's also saying that Altman's uh, surgery scenes are harrowing. Blood spurts from a critically wounded uh, soldier's neck as doctors try to uh, staunch it or stanch it. Um, and it, the dull low-fi hum of what sounds like a power tool is heard. Um, and in at least one instance, a patient's torso is hacked at what, what uh, hacked at with what looks like a butcher saw. So it is graphic. Yeah, that movie... The movie version is very, very graphic. Um, so I just find it really, really fascinating to kind of compare all of them, uh, definitely. And I love, obviously, I love the TV show better than the movie. And I do need to read the books. So that being said, I actually really do want to read the books at some point. Um, so it's just very, very interesting. So obviously, the MASH uh, television series was not a hit. No, it was not a hit in the first season. Uh, the network believed in the show, and by season two, it garnered a significant following. And it was, by turns, funny, serious, and innovative, which is very, very true. If you look at popular, popular or not-so-popular episodes of Hawkeye, Dreams, Point of View, all of those um, are different ways of telling the story of, of the show, of the characters, of the way of life. Um, and it's really interesting because if you think about those three episodes that I just mentioned, Point of View, Dreams, and Hawkeye, all of those were different ways 
back in the 70s. And you really didn't see that kind of storytelling back then. Oh, God, no. It was all, a lot of shows were on a specific formula. So the Dreams episode certainly didn't follow that formula, um, you know, and Point of View certainly didn't. And Hawkeye, one, one actor doing that. And I always appreciate, it, it is not my favorite episode, I, and I, I don't believe that it was the Alan Alda show, um, but I do think that it's challenging to have one character and one actor carry the entire episode. And I listened to Jeff Maxwell when he talked about seeing Alan Alda act out that particular episode, and it changed my viewpoint of the episode. And, and Jeff really talks highly of Alan Alda acting that script out and, and doing that as a one-man show. And, and I, definitely a new appreciation, even though it is not, not in my top 50. <laughs> I don't even think it's in my top 100 episodes. I like the episodes that are more interactive, more engaging amongst all of the actors and actresses. Actually, one of, I would say in my top 10, I really do like point of, uh, not point of view, um, Our Finest Hour. Uh, it's the, the two half hours with Cleet Roberts interviewing everybody. And then they do all the clips, the, like the flashback clips. And I really like that because it shows everybody and then it has different uh, themes that run throughout it. And I, I really like that. So that episode, the two-parter, is in my top probably my top 20 of, of my favorite episodes. Um, and then uh, talking, going back to the article, it's talking about how um, Robert Altman actually didn't really care for the MASH TV show, which is really, really, really interesting. Um, definitely. Um, and it really just, I, I did not realize that he didn't really uh, care for that um, so anyway, so continuing on here, um, so then we talked, it's talking more about finding Alan Alda to be the leading man of the show, and that obviously is history now. Um, you know, Alan Alda's Hawkeye became and remains one of the most famous characters in television history. And if you think about that, back in the day, uh, Alan Alda was the it person. I think I've said it on my podcast before, and I'll say it on my Instagram account that anybody, anybody who was anybody was anybody, yeah, anybody who was anybody back in the 70s thought Alan Alda hung the moon. And Alan Alda was the it person back then. You know, we look back and we go, wow, Alan Alda was, you know, whatever, or people didn't really like his portrayal of Hawkeye or thought he was too, you know, big in the show. But man, he was, if you grew up in that time, you knew who Alan Alda was. And most likely either you loved him or someone you knew loved him. Like he was, I can't compare him to anybody in today's world. There isn't anybody. There isn't anybody. Um, you know, because TV is so scattered now. It's like there's so many TV shows and there's so many stations. And it, you, you can't find another Alan Alda type back, you know, that, that we had back then. So I really like my favorite seasons, um, seasons one through seasons three with McLean Stevenson. 
um, and is talking about, you know, the article continues to talk about the different episodes and learning it. You, we can learn about the, the characters, um, you know, and Al Nelda clearly became the star. Um, and then Wayne Rogers ended up leaving the show three seasons in and McLean Stevenson also left and I love 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 McLean Stevenson and I was so disappointed um that he left I mean I wasn't watching the show at the time but when I look back and I go wow he could have stayed and really had a massive massive uh massive massive popularity uh that would have definitely surpassed what he was able to do uh, on on his own and I did watch his shows after he left MASH I really 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 enjoyed those and then now it's talking about Loretta Swit who shares with Alda the distinction of becoming a regular cast member for every season of the series and was the show's only regular female character um, she actually says that the early years uh, she blanched at the suggestion that the early years could be seen differently today in the context of the Me Too movement. Um, she didn't believe there was any predation. Uh, I think I got that word right. Um, and the nurses were using the doctors too. They had means of their own, <laughs> which I kind of agree with, um, you know, but the but the doctors and the nurses definitely did, uh, definitely uh, maybe preyed on each other. <laughs> so anyway... And then, you know, and every show reflects its time, you know, thinking back to the 70s, it was, it was a very, very different, different world, different time. Um, and so it goes on to say the show seems to hit its stride somewhere in the middle of its run. Uh, so you can see how seasons four and five is when Mike Farrell comes on board, Larry Linville leaves, David Ogden's Dyers comes in as Dr. Charles Winchester, that changes the dynamic between Hawkeye and BJ and them, you know, going up against another character. So with Larry Linville leaving and with David Ogden Stiers coming in, uh, it, it changes all of those dynamics up. Um, and then you've got uh, a fan favorite movie tonight. I know a lot of people really like that. I love, 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 love that episode. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, and they use, they uh, are able to have a lot of characters represented in that episode, which I really, really like. So now we've got, again, Major Charles Emerson Winchester coming in season six. And then you've got um, Gary Berghoff leaving shortly thereafter. And that's disappointing because I really liked him. I really liked Radar O'Reilly. And I really love, love, love the character. Um, I really loved how Radar and Henry Blake interacted. And I really wish we could have seen more of them interacting together because I just think it was absolutely brilliant. Um, and then it, this is also saying, uh, if the show had always been brighter than either the book or the film, it's always been warmer. But that brightness becomes a bit garish in its last years as the series seems to drift completely out of the orbit of Hornberger's original version uh, with the book. Uh, the tension of being stationed three miles from the front lines has mostly dissipated. The characters appear comfortable, uh, even coiffed and manicured. All traces of the war's uh, filth and res re re uh, residue 
have been scrubbed clean, which is, which is kind of true, which is kind of true. Um, you know, and Hawkeye become, becomes less of a womanizer, um, you know, and that, that's definitely a shift, uh, for his character. Uh, and it's just very different. It's just very different. And then you've got Jamie Farr, uh, portraying Klinger, uh, was formerly cross-dressing soldier, once desperate to go home. He'd attempt to swallow a Jeep bolt by bolt. Now seems overjoyed to serve. <laughs> so, even turns down a discharge in uh, season, you know, in the later seasons. Um, so it's interesting to see how the, how the show changed and evolved over time. And it's interesting to kind of look at season 11. Um, Mike Farrell uh, mentions we didn't ride, we didn't wait, we didn't want to ride the horse downhill. And we certainly didn't want the network making the decision for us. We wanted to go out on our own terms. Uh, Alda, Alan Alda agreed. We, we just felt like we'd taken it as far as we could and we never looked back. And so that was a disappointing season for me as a fan because they didn't do as many episodes. And someone recently on a Facebook post said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they had 16 episodes or so of season 11 and then they had the final movie. But that that didn't feel the same to me, which maybe, maybe, maybe uh, the show's final season, which began in the fall of 1982. Um had the final episode, Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen. And it was the movie that ended it. And it was not the last thing filmed uh, as time goes by. It was filmed last. And it's really, really hard. It's still really hard to watch that final movie. It's still really, really hard. And this says, unlike Hornberger's novel or Altman's film, in the television mash, the characters show a deep love and respect for each other, and a large part of the show's tremendous appeal has to do with the ways in which they could model healthy, open communication and the vital importance of community. At its core, though, mash is about surviving amid, amid chaos, about being trapped in an impossible situation in which the struggle is taken up every day. But because it's the right thing to do. In 1968, the notion that our true enemy could be the callousness, hypocrisy, and small-minded ignorance of our own leaders was fashionable. Fifty years later, it's become evergreen. So interesting. Interesting, interesting. So, yeah. Yeah, so whatever you think about MASH and whatever you whatever element of the show or the movie or the book appeals to you it's really interesting to see 50 years later mash is still important and whether you're you know true blue military and like it from that perspective, or you like it from a uh, anti-war, pro-humanity humanity perspective, or anywhere in between. It's almost like the show has something for everybody. 
you can look at it from many, 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 many different angles and seasons. You know, in my mind, it's broken down into seasons one through three, seasons four and five, six through eight, and nine through 11. Those are, that's how I break down the show in my mind. And that's how I make sense of the show. And it'd be interesting. It would be interesting. I'm not going to share what my favorite shows are just yet or what my favorite seasons are. But I definitely, I like episodes from every single season. And I also appreciate what they were trying to do with the different ways of filming the show. And for me, I'll leave, I'll leave it today with, for me, MASH represents what I just read in that, in that one sentence about the appeal of the show has to do in, in, with the ways in which it could model healthy, open communication and the vital importance of community. And that was for me why I began watching the show and 40 plus years later as I struggle with a different transition in my life that's what keeps me coming back and that's what keeps me engaged in the show in the world of Facebook Instagram and that's what will continue to bring me back 10 years from now, 20 years from now, until the day I die, I will always, MASH will always, always, always be my favorite show. So any feedback, feel free to reach out to me at mash.forever on Instagram. Until next time, have a great day.